0: Hey friends, thanks for listening to the podcast. Before we get into this week's discussion about human relationships, just a quick editor's note that the uh, psychological theory uh, known as Dunbar's number came up in the conversation pretty early on. We erroneously refer to the number as 300, but it's actually 150 meaningful human relationships. So doesn't have a lot of bearing on the meat of the conversation, but wanted to make that correction because we were unable to Google at the time of recording. Thank you very much for listening, and we hope you enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to the Future Will Not Be podcast, a show about future shock, the existential dread we feel when technology marches forward at an exponential rate. We're always seeing disruptive technology, but we're talking about disruptive technology that disrupts our lives, our societies, our culture, multiple times a year, uh, every six years, every 10 years, multiple times in a generation, things that change how our culture works so quickly that we're having trouble keeping up. This is a unique time to be alive. A lot of it's very cool, but there's a lot that we still need to sort out. That is what this show is all about. My name is Matt Silverman. I am joined by Alex Fitzpatrick. Hello, hello. And also Evan Engel. Hello, hello. We are three guys who have been covering media and technology for about 10 years. So that qualifies us to blather at you for an hour every two weeks. We thank you for joining us. Usually we look at a specific technology or concept that is very disruptive we talk about its ramifications for the future. Today is going to be a little bit different. We're going to flip the script, as the kids like to say. We're going to look at this in reverse. Today's topic is about relationships, human relationships, how Are we relating to each other differently in the 21st century? And there's a lot of talk about this, about the kids today and their texting and their emojis. That's not what this episode is going to be about, though we will talk about it. It's about the fact that fundamentally, we are relating person to person really radically differently than one generation ago. We are deeply connected or depending on your view, like frivolously connected to way more people at all times. All of our relationships are in our pocket at all times. Um, So much more of our communication is done non-verbally and not face-to-face, which is very efficient, very cool, makes us more productive, makes us faster. I love it usually, but as we talk about a lot- the human mind is not really wired for that. Our, our brains evolved on the savanna in small tribes, and we are all about facial cues and expressions and who's telling the truth, who's lying, who's misleading. That is what human brains are meant to perceive, and now we're in a world of uh, text messages and you know faces on screens, and that's not going away in one generation, in 10 generations, like... What effect will this have on the way our society is structured? What, what are we seeing today? So I will throw out this broad, broad topic to to the room here. What are you thinking about when it comes to
1: how we relate to each other in the 21st century? I think the thing that I'm thinking most about is this idea that, and you sort of alluded to it, uh, but this idea that we're connected to so many people and our social groups are so large and the number of people that we care about is so large uh, and the number of people the number of people we're able to keep up with is so large. And like I've lately been struggling really badly with like being a good friend to all the people that I want to be good friends with. And mm-hmm. I'm not sure that I would feel that same pressure if this was like 20 years ago and my contact with a large number of people was lower. And it's mm-hmm. it's a totally good problem to have in the sense that like there are a lot of people that I care about and a lot of people that care about me, I would hope. But it's a struggle to sort of be a good friend to so many people at the same time.
2: I feel the exact same way, and I, for me, when I when I think about this, when I think about how our social relationships have changed, uh, for me, it's it's that, and I also think about romantic relationships. That's not necessarily the case in in my own life. I think my romantic relationship kind of resembles what it would have ten or fifteen years ago, or twenty years ago, even. But I know that for my generation. Uh, you know we've seen profound shifts in in our in our friendships and in our romantic relationships in into who we meet and how we meet them and then how we interact with them once once we're romantic with
0: them I'm excited to talk about both platonic and and romantic. We will get into both, but starting with alex's point what is it Dunbar's number? Am I thinking of the right Yes, theory? I think so yeah uh, yeah. And and gosh, we, I should have looked this up ahead of time. But what is, is it? Five hundred? I think so. Three three hundred. I thought three hundred. I,
2: I could be mistaken.
0: Yeah, somewhere around there. You know, this psychological i concept where we can only really keep up with or comprehend or know three hundred people in our lives at a time, and and I guess. Evolutionarily, that might be a tribe or an extended network of tribes. And after that number, we can't know People beyond that number, and we can't keep up with them. We don't care about them, or, or our empathy levels uh, diminish. And I think there have been a lot of studies of like when when a company gets bigger than three hundred people, you start to have like HR problems and dis and silos, and people getting disconnected from each other. So, you know, I, there whatever the statistic of the average number of Facebook friends, it might be five hundred or a thousand, some ridiculous number. I'm fascinated that the uh the debris, the the friendship debris of like a guy you met at a networking function six years ago is still in my Facebook feed, and that is um, really fascinating to me and and uh, and I, and I think that is connected to what you said, Alex, about like, ah, uh, there's people that I see and I and I want to be good and connected to them, but I simply cannot do it. And maybe a question for you is like, why do you feel compelled to be good friends to uh, more than 300 people?
1: That's a good question. I I would like to say that it's my good nature and and friendly nature that like (laughs) I want to be nice to a lot of people and keep up, you know. Um, But I think it's just like because their names are present in my mental space. Like Mm -hmm. when I look at my Facebook feed or Twitter feed or Instagram, whatever. Uh, you know, I see a name and I'm like, oh, I haven't caught up with that person in forever. I should send them a message and see how they're doing or like see if they want to get a ketchup drink if they're in the city or like whatever it is. And on a more serious note, like if they if I they post about some serious life event, whether for good or for bad, like you want to be able to like catch up and, and see how they're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just like sometimes like you just don't have it in you. To, to do that and, and, and also leaving like a comment feels uh shallow yeah, it's like and, a little bit and like, bad like,
0: that, yeah. okay that that really pinpoints it for me of like someone who if if their life event happened 20 years ago you would never know about it and you wouldn't be psychologically or socially required or compelled to care but now that it's in your face you there's a guilt or or an obligation to care but you know, you're stretching your, your, your empathy levels, because like, you don't really know the person, you know, these are social folk, you know, uh, etiquette faux pas and things that are important for the now. But I would like to extrapolate those that out into the future, you know, eventually in this conversation.
1: Yeah. And I think the older that I get, the more I sort of trim down into, like, here's the the smaller number of people who I truly care about, and I'm going to truly make an effort to, you know, develop or maintain really close relationships with. Uh, and, like, for the rest of all those people, it's like, oh, cool, it's always nice to see you, but, like, I, I'm not going to, like, really, really try to be super close to you or whatever, because you just can't do that, I think. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
2: This is an area where I get old-fashioned. In fact, th- so this happened to me just recently. Uh, I met up with a with a dear old friend from college, and uh, you know I've been off Facebook for a little while now, and so I haven't, you know, I, this, I I've been I've been divorced from from this this stream of information that I get regularly about him and about
1: everybody else. Almost oh, be great to catch up with people.
2: So this is this is what's really <laughs> fascinating. Is is on the one hand, you would think that not being on Facebook that, that now we have to do this part of the conversation that we could be past already. Right. That I, that I could know everything that's going mm. on with his life and with his romances and all these things. I I could know all this already. And, uh, and we wouldn't have to do that. But the difference here is that because we have to do that part of the conversation, because he has to catch me up. Now he gets to, to, to do that. And he gets to, to see a reaction in real time. Mm. Instead of, instead of flinging this information out into the void and 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 hoping i guess for likes or hoping that for some sort of reaction and hoping that the the next time you see somebody, whenever that'll be, that you get to talk about it. Then now he's he's catching me up on what's going on in his life. Isn't it, it's so weird to describe this like it's an old thing? This is this is what the world used to be, right? This is like, right, right. Like, this is like how you used to yeah. You used to see somebody, you used to say, "Hey, what have you been doing?" And they would tell you, and you would make the appropriate facial gestures, and you would go, <laughs> <laughs> "You would go,
0: oh, oh,
1: oh should, should oh, I be? Oh, yeah. Should I be making facial gestures in conversation?
0: I just kind of stare at people blankly." <laughs> <laughs> like, we're joking about the the like the human interaction of like haha that's so novel. but like what you're saying strikes me as like that is a therapeutic yes. human interaction that theoretically c- could be lost if everyone always knows everything about everyone is that yeah, maybe no, that's no, the that's point a, that's that exact, you're, you're arriving that's at.
2: exactly it there is something fundamentally human about storytelling in, 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 to a live audience. It's, it's, and it's funny you use the word therapeutic because I do find myself thinking about that. Now I see subway ads for, for therapists that you can text, which makes sense Mm -hmm. for a convenience thing. But I, but I do wonder if the value of a therapist isn't that they're right there. Isn't that the, the, isn't that part of the, the charm of it? Part of the effect of it is, is, is that you're, you're interacting with a live human. I would imagine that for many people, therapy probably, prob- that, that might be the appeal of it. Therapy might, the service it might provide to people uh, is that it is a live human for people that don't have that.
1: All the value I've ever gotten out of therapy, which is a lot, is in talking through things that I would not have otherwise been talking about. And I think that's, that's it. Would it have been, you know would,
2: would you have gotten that same value if you had done it remotely?
1: I don't maybe over like Skype or something, because I think it's I think for me personally, like this is not true. Like no one thing in therapy is like true for all people. Right. But I think for me, it's in putting finding the words for feelings that I'm going through or problems that I'm going through and like putting words to them and, and finding a way to talk about them. And I think just that process is like inherently cathartic. And I in a way that I don't think texting about it is because when it comes out of your mouth, it's like there's there's truth to it that like hits you more effectively. I think
0: this is really, this is, there's a lot to dig into here because we're interviewing um, one of those, a representative from one of those ser- therapy services uh, on another show. And I, I did a call. I, I spoke with the guest ahead of the show and, her, I pose the same question: Aren't you criticized by the quote-unquote IRL therapy community that this is not as good? And and her response was was lovely. It's like we're all about expanding access to people yeah. who yeah. Yeah. might not otherwise have the time or bandwidth or might feel stigma or whatever. And so I thought that was great. And I think we three probably feel like sitting in f- with a real person is the best way. But something we should get into here is like, think of the five-year-old kid today who grew up with texting and digital throughout, the, the digital native, of course. How will he or she feel when it comes time to have meaningful conversations? And this is also part of this conversation too. It's like, there are people on one side of the digital divide. It's not necessarily old versus young, but when I think about my parents they are just not as savvy. They're not as sophisticated with the way they present themselves digitally. And people who grew up with it in their formative years, myself included, as a teenager, did we you know started to come online? I feel like I'm better than the older generation at expressing nuance and expressing clear communication digitally. And then I think about the generation coming after us who are just swimming in it all the time. And will they be as good and as sophisticated as we are when we talk in person, you know, or is the human mind meant to be face to face, full stop, and there will always be problems with written communication.
1: I think there's always going to be something that you lose in written communication. I think it's not necessarily like a bad thing to do that. I mean, you know, we've done it as humans for generations, right? Um, Whether it's texting or writing or, you know, whatever it is, telegraph, Mm -hmm. I guess, is Mm -hmm. written. But there's definitely some quality to -to face-to-face that uh, you just can't get from anything else. Even Skype is like, or any kind of video chat is like close, but not the real cigar, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
2: I fully support... Going back to this idea of of, of uh, remote therapy, you know anything we can do to get gamers into therapy, I'm I'm a hundred percent on board with. I, absolutely, that we lose something over text though, and I think all we need to do is look at our office Slack and see. Uh, or maybe maybe this isn't true for your office, but, but in my office, uh, <laughs> Slack. There's there's certainly a difference between the way people talk in Slack and the way they talk
1: right. in person. Uh, it's right. really hard to talk and GIF, so <laughs> or, or right. You do you lose something in real life. You walk around and you just can't. go prayer hands, prayer hands. You know it doesn't quite have the same I, same impact. I think
2: about something Fitz you said on a on a previous episode that that every email could be answered with just a thumbs up or a finger. And, yep, and, absolutely. And a lot of times that, that's what people do. And, uh-huh. so, and that's not what they do in person.
0: Right. Uh, there's two avenues here. One is what is lost or gained by any certain method of communication over the other. And like there are times and places where email or text is the best form asynchronous communication that requires me to transmit information to you and you get it when you're ready and I get it when I'm like that is awesome for a lot of contexts but not every context so so that context question I think is very important here and I think the 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 foibles and the problems that we see is when people are using the wrong mode of like you know just using the workplace as an example let's have a meeting where we all like talk about our feelings and talk about the project and it was, it's like this could have been a thumbs up email and we could move <laughs> on and be more productive and vice versa get everyone getting prissy over slack or text or, or email because miscommunications are happening that could have been sorted out in real life so that context is, is going to be a big thread here. And then the other thing I think about, especially when it comes to like kids growing up in it is – is and, and, you know, I've spoken to psychologists about this. They cannot escape – their their social lives are deeply intertwined with social media for good or for ill. And and it's not about, oh, these kids today all they do is snap and insta – like that's fine. They can't participate in their peer groups, which is important – without being on these platforms and these platforms never turn off. Yeah. And so they cannot escape or get away from, uh, things like criticism, bullying, feeling left out. And, and these are all normal kids slash teenager emotions. Like everyone feels bad and gets bullied and whatever. But I'm really being very careful not to say like when we were kids, cause I hate that. But you could come home and be away from it when – when in previous generations and now you can't. And psychologists have told me and I've heard this said that that is a re- – that is the root of a lot of issues I think that we're coming up against.
2: To play devil's advocate, is that so different – because I understand that. But is it so different from – uh, when you find out that, that the Nasty Boys have written something about you on the, on the bathroom wall. Mm-hmm.
1: The Nasty Boys, of the, course, being the all-time best 90s. <laughs> <laughs>
2: can, you, can you spit some tracks for us, Vince? Would you mind? What's your favorite Nasty <laughs> yeah, Boys song? Them, uh, don't have them queued up. The defining trait of, of humans is that you know we've been able to extend ourselves into different media. Uh, and we've been able to to and we will always be extended into different media and and sure this the uh, the new media is is more omnipresent perhaps than than the previous but you know we have always been as long as we've been able to extend ourselves into into different media we've been
0: able to bully people through it too yeah and and I really used to be one hundred percent in that camp, and I used to feel. Like we've always been bullied and kids have always had the problem and all this drama is just being played out on social and it's all the same stuff. And I, 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 a lot of that I still feel is true, but, but but the point that has been made to me is like, you can feel bad about the bathroom wall and it stinks. And then you, you go home and you walk away from the bathroom wall and the bathroom wall is, you can still, you're still thinking about it. You know, you don't, it doesn't disappear, but In a world where I'm a kid and I have to go on my computer or device to do my homework and I have to go on my computer or device to like, hey, check in with my friends. Hey, are you going to pick me up tomorrow? Like just coordinate normal social and logistical activities. And there's the bathroom wall coming at you again when you're trying to do something. else Like the bathroom wall was only in the bathroom, but now it's surrounding you at all times and in your face. 24 7 and again people have told me like it's waking you up at night at 1 in the morning because your phone is buzzing and like kids need to like not have their phones in their bed but like they do and that becomes a psychological pressure that we've never seen before that omnipresence is is new to us as a as a as a people.
1: To bring it back a little bit more to relationships, um, can I tell you guys what I've done to sort of a little bit alleviate the problem that I laid out earlier? Yes, please. uh, Mm -hmm. Of like too many people. I have been kind of like really vicious about unfriending people or at least like Mm -hmm. muting them. Mm -hmm. Basically what I do at all times is like anytime I see a Facebook post or an Instagram post or even a tweet. Like, I just look at it. And I'm like, who sent this? And like, do I connect with them on a regular basis? Mm-hmm. And if the question is no, like, I'll mute them or get rid of them. Yeah. Uh, and I just like, I don't really need to have my mental bandwidth occupied by like what this girl I went to gym class with in 10th grade is like up to today or thinking about. Right. Uh, and that's been helping a lot, I think. Just like sort of minimizing even like it, it probably like content that I would have like not Really processed anyway, but I think just even preventing it from affecting me sub- in a subconscious level at most yes. has been super helpful.
2: Absolutely. I think it was a friend of the show, Chris Dancy. Who mm. suggested using LinkedIn, what like every LinkedIn alert as a as a reason to un- disconnect from someone on LinkedIn. Right? Like this <laughs> this person got a promotion. You're like, I do not know who this person is or when <laughs> I met them, and good for them. And now we are done.
1: Yep. God, LinkedIn is just a the wild west of like connecting with as many people as you possibly can. <laughs> There's some people who really play that LinkedIn game, and I just mm-hmm. never understood it. Now there are CEOs. So Sure. Right. So that's, obviously that's how that works. Yeah. They're onto something.
2: So let me pose this question because I, I think we'll get some meat out of here, but we have these tools now for connecting to each other that make that make connections easier. Does it cheapen relationships? And, and I'll give you an example. A happy birthday wish on Facebook, I think is all but meaningless because Facebook tells you, oh, it's Alex's birthday today. Oh, well, I guess I'll go and I will wish him a happy birthday. I didn't remember your birthday. I didn't. I, I came there. You, for, it's United Nations Day, you jerk. I, I came there. United it's Nations National Day. Donut Day. I wished right. you a happy birthday because because effectively a bot told me to do it. <laughs>
1: And, should, and, Facebook should really just fully commit into making the bot that does that for you, right? They really should. Like uh, don't even alert and, me, and, just do the thing. And, they,
2: and and they really will, right? We'll we'll get to that point absolutely where where you can just tell your bot like like order flowers on this date and wish a happy birthday on this date and uh and and oh this guy got a promotion on LinkedIn. Uh say congratulations for me, bot. Like we will we will get to this place where so much of what used to be work in relationship uh but also but also was rewarding for the other party in the relationship so much of that will be automated and and that will not be something that comes from humans will we will we still feel touched will, will our standards just change and we'll say oh you know good the bot the uh, thank you for programming your bot to do this for me that's really touching or will we lose something there
1: i don't know how much i care about happy birthday wishes any like anyway you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, yeah, let's raise the
0: stakes because this is this is the conversation. And let's assume for for the sake of argument that we are already here. You know, I, I don't think this is a far flung f- future. I think mm-hmm. bots we've talked about this at multiple times. Bots having conversations on our behalf is the future of human communication. We're here. Yeah. Let's say. Yeah. What does this what does that mean for human relationships and I kind of yeah, like
1: I, I sort of hope that like if we still do the pleasantries at all, like the bots will do the pleasantries and all that, like happy birthday stuff, and like maybe that just frees us up. Like that super optimistic view is like maybe that just frees us up for like legitimately deep conversations. Yeah, I, I, like, if we I don't hope, have to worry I about agree. the petty. Like, oh, hey, you know, yeah, I don't care the game that. last night. You know what I mean? I don't, like, care.
0: I don't care about that at all. Yeah, yeah, and I'm fine to see it go.
2: I disagree. I disagree. And I,
0: and I <laughs> and I'll,
2: I'll say this because because even. We and maybe we read this incorrectly, but I, I don't think so. Like we read into the timing of a text message, even even if it's just those pleasantries, right? If you're home and you're you're texting somebody and you're saying, "Hey, man, what's up?" and they get back to you quickly or they get back to you slowly, like we read something into that. You know, you, I can't imagine jumping into a conversation and going right to the meat of the bones and, you know, and, and just, I'm hoping that the bot has prepped us both, both for that. I, I, I'm serious. I'm serious. Where
1: I think Evan's concern is that we're going to go from you up to, you ever think about death?
2: Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think, I real talk, I, it, the prep the prep I, I, I think about whenever i'm I'm having a real conversation with somebody, it's very rare that it's come from nowhere, right? To have an intimate conversation, to have any intimate experience requires uh, some sort of prep for intimacy and and
0: so, <laughs> what, what are we talking about? So here? I, uh,
2: <laughs> I just mean I just mean that that there is a there is a dance that you do, a conversational dance that you do. Uh, before you have a, a uh, before you have a conversation where you'll be vulnerable, right? And and I can't imagine turning that on and off in a switch because because the bot gives me the green light.
0: Yeah, okay, that's that's a good point, point. and I guess I'm. You know, I was thinking about us. We are all friends and familiar with each other's interests, and we we work together on this project, for example. And so, in the begin before we hit record, we're like we kick around. Oh, did you see this thing? Oh, what are you watching? What are you playing? Like we're just talking about. And that's not those two. That to me is not pleasantries. That's not like, hey, how's it going? How's the weather? You know, what's up lately? That's us being like guys check out this thing you're gonna love it because we know each other but so so that was where my mind went first and i'm like who cares about asking about the weather like i i let the bot do that for me but i think what you're saying what i've come around to just in hearing you make your case is that if it's a person that i know less well perhaps a stranger or maybe an acquaintance You need that social lubricant to arrive at a more meaningful place. And if a bot does it for you, that's not going to work. And I I do agree. I guess I've come around. Let
2: Let me put it another way. Imagine you had to give bad news to your spouse. And so you look to your phone and your phone says, yep, like she's ready do it would would you do it because for me i need to know that that uh that my partner is in the right mood to hear bad news and i well yes because
0: if if the app can uh, look i mean let's go there You know, if her Fitbit and her wearables are all calculating her mood and her, you know, uh, her, you know, bodily systems that are like, this is now, but using algorithms, the optimal time she is in the most positive mental state she could be, algorithmically, this is the best time to deliver bad news, there's value in that. You
2: I, uh, know. for well, I don't I don't think this is something you could get from wearables. I think this is you, you know you would need a sort of a sort of you would have to be I, I, I think bad news is you know the, the right time to give bad news is is one of the trickiest uh, mm-hmm. uh, things to do and, and I don't think it's a necessarily a matter of heart rates and and perspiration. I think it's really it's really a, a it's really a matter of setting the stage. I think it's a, it's mm. a difficult and a delicate thing to do. And I, I don't know. I don't know what kind of probes and hardware we would need to to know that somebody's ready for it. I
1: think I what guess, we've learned just now is that Matt likes to deliver bad news <laughs> when somebody's feeling their absolute happiest. That's also <laughs> what I was, was like. Is it people. when is the best
0: time to crush people? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I
1: had the same thought. I
0: guess I'm thinking more about a, a, a hypothetical 360 AI system that's like all your vital signs are being measured but also everything you've said and all of your eye movements and sure. every and all the shows you just watched on sure. TV a three we've talked about this before a 360 picture of everything you are doing feeling saying is being recorded by by apps and systems and all and then it all spits it out into a thing that's like okay she's ready now or some something you know we're getting at a concept here where all of this optimization that is happening in human communication, a lot of which I love. I love asynchronous and I, I love the productivity of that.
1: W- w- there is something lost here is is what we're saying. Yeah, I think so. To To use the bad news example, there's never a good time to give somebody bad news. But I think like if you're close enough with somebody, you learn maybe it's not about timing, but about delivery more so. Like you learn mm-hmm. how to do it. Mm-hmm. rather than when to because there's never a good time right 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 whether it's like you know you want to soften the blow by making a nice dinner or some sort of approach that you know works for the person that you're close to mm-hmm. to just make it a little bit more palatable or whatever um, and those things like you know no app is ever going to tell you right so is and is the fear here that if we are
0: relying on apps and ai and things to optimize our conversations we're going to lose or miss out on those skill those skills that make
1: communication and life better is that yeah i think it's the sort of social empathy and social Mm -hmm. like um what's the term eq i guess right well that's actually another
0: another place to dig in like psychologically it is fairly well established that No matter how good or native or comfortable you are in the textual or non-face-to-face realm, you could be an amazing digital communicator, but there is just less empathy going on uh, in these communication forms. You could be writing a letter on a paper using a quill. And that you are still having less empathy and connection to the person than
1: you would uh, if it was a face-to-face communication. And 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 what does that mean? I mean, I, I don't think it's – yeah, I mean, I think I'm, – I'm sure I'm not the only one guilty of this. But I think, like, when I – if I'm busy at work and I get a text from my wife, you know, there's definitely times where I'm like, oh, I got a text to deal with and, like – let me put that aside and mm-hmm. get to it later. And, like, that's never a way I would respond to my wife in person <laughs> or even if she if she called. Maybe because, like, if she's calling me, then I think, like, oh, God, something. There's an emergency, right? right? So that's like a that's shift signal. in, like, the
0: importance level or the priority levels of, of the ways in which we communicate. That's interesting to me.
1: right. But I think my point being is that, like, there, like I definitely agree with you that there are advantages to asynchronous conversation. Like, you know, uh, my wife was going to the store earlier, so she sent me a text like, hey, do you need me to get anything? And, like, an hour later I saw it and I'm like, oh, milk, please. Um, but I just think, like, anything that, like, buzzes or beeps at you is so easy to ignore no matter who is mm-hmm. sending it. Unless you're, like, anticipating bad news or, like, you know, there, there's you're getting a million messages for whatever reason. Like it's just so easy to ignore text conversation, even if it's somebody who's close to you. And, and maybe that's just me. Uh, and I should think more deeply about like how I'm handling <laughs> that kind of thing. But I think also like when you're busy, you have to do some amount of like, you know, triage in terms of like what you're yeah, prioritizing. You, no, it's, it's certainly not.
0: Yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. It's, it's definitely not just you.
2: On this topic of empathy, and, and I don't want to dip into stereotypes and I, and I know I made a joke about gamers earlier, but there, there does seem to be, uh, you know, you do see these gamer communities that are rife with racism, that are rife with sexism. You see it on YouTube as well. You see the, the YouTube communities that, that suffer from the same, the same uh, disease. And it's, it, there, there does seem to be something about, about a culture that is, that grows up uh, primarily relating to people, through through sort of asynchronous communication or or just through through mediated relationships where where maybe maybe you know where the, the primary interaction you have with somebody is shooting them. There's a a dearth of empathy there. That's probably a gross stereotype, but I, I don't know that it's totally wrong.
0: I have similar concerns about the empathy uh, question. It's funny, I was recently listening to another podcast and the discussion of gaming culture as it relates to this uh, someone put it this way: as like it, it's not a it's not causation; it's correlation of like if you are already depressed and doing um, repetitive like games are very engrossing and they're very they can be very addicting. So if you're already like depressed and isolated, actually that's how she put it. If if you are a person who is isolated and you're playing the same game over and over and over again, then that you just happen to be that the the gaming is like the symptom. It's not the cause of the isolation and, and of the la- the, the lack of empathy that comes with being an isolated person. If the, the, I'm not explaining it as but well I, as, as she I, did, but I
2: can, I mean, I don't want to lay all the problems of the world on gaming's feet. I, that, and I'm not, I'm not trying to do that. And, and what you're saying makes sense, but I could see it as being, being right. A, a symptom and a cause where, where mm-hmm. you're sure sure if you're, if you're isolated if you, if you live somewhere where there isn't a community that you can relate to any any sort of mediated community or you know can open that door, but it also without that element of, of existing in the real world of existing in, in, with a hu- or an actual human to human, I, I just think observationally it does seem like we are losing something in those communities
0: substitute any activity yes. or platform yes. i mean p- there's so many studies that say like if, if you're getting all of your or most of your communication through a social network it you start to you, you start looking at other people and getting depressed or jealous of them because all you're seeing is the good stuff yeah. the vacation photos and you feel bad about yourself because you're not you're not seeing the real world you're seeing a small sliver of of what is presented by people who are not face to face with you. You can't read their facial cues. You're only seeing their smiling picture. There's a lot in that. You know, it's not just Facebook, it's not just gaming. It's it's this entire culture of connected isolation. To invent a term perhaps. So then what
2: because obviously I don't think we we want that's going to be the future. That's going to be most of our lives is going to be spent in mm-hmm. connected isolation. I like I love that term what can be done to maintain empathy in that situation? Because I don't think we want to live in a society without empathy, mm-hmm. uh, but we are going to exist in a society where it's going to be harder to maintain.
1: I just want to point out that Evan seems to really want to alienate all gamers, which feels like a bad choice, <laughs> given our podcast's likely demographic.
2: I, no, I I, I for feel... one,
1: am a gamer. <laughs>
2: I, and and that's why I feel comfortable mm-hmm. saying this because because obviously this isn't true of gaming for the whole. You are a gamer, Matt is a big gamer. Uh, this isn't true, and this is why it's not it's not the video games causing this. It's but video games are but video games are probably one of our best developed kind of connected, isolated activities, mm-hmm. right? If if YouTube yeah. is probably the second, and we and we see this problem on YouTube as well. I don't think these these are causes of these things, but I think these are very well developed mm-hmm. channels that that can provide a feedback mm-hmm. into it.
0: Side note: This is completely tangential. I play video games almost every day. I hate the yeah. word gamer. Like, I don't identify. I don't self. I play video oh, games all the time. Oh, I don't self-identify as a gamer because, by definition, I am. But like, the the word has baggage. Maybe to to Evan's point about like when when that word comes up, it feels gross to me, even though I technically am again you know what i mean i don't know i don't know why i feel that way does it have like negative connotations now i just feel like when the media is like the gamers it's always bad (laughs) news you know what i mean and that stinks because the gamers are at (laughs) it again more at 11 it's like you know well reddit with a reddit community is at it again i'm like reddit's a great place if you know what you're doing uh but the media always paints it with this brush anyway i digress
2: well, and it's it's an enormous industry that that has been, uh, we wouldn't, we don't talk about moviegoers that way, sure, right? Yeah,
0: mm, yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, they, Reddit is like uh, Times Square. Like you got to go to Jimmy's Corner and you'll be fine <laughs> for, for the for the, the non-New uh, New Yorkers. Yeah, yeah. The inside yeah. New York <laughs> yeah. bar. Oh man, I killed the, I killed the whole show with that. Yeah. No.
2: <laughs> is there like a Jimmy's Corner subReddit that I don't mm. know about? I really, I really. I don't know this joke. I'm sorry. I know the bar. Well that's no, I think I'm that's just making, what he's I'm
1: just saying yeah. that like that's the right. bar you go to if you're in Times Square, it's the only legitimate place to go. Yeah. yeah. Where else would you be going?
2: Let's explain this one more.
1: Yeah, let's uh, unpack this All now. Right. Where are we where are we going? I mean empathy look at, look
2: at, look at how little empathy yeah. I have now that I'm doing this through a microphone. <laughs> you you <gamer. laughs>
0: Uh, okay, where, where, where are we headed for here? You know, em- empathy is really, really critical to this conversation. Uh, can we, I, I, I think, Evan, you already asked this. Like, what, what you, this is where we were. What can we do to fix this? And, and I've heard tell uh, from people who cover the teens that the teens are really good. They're, they're, they're doing fine, as they always do. They're awash in this media and they're deep in it and out of necessity, they are developing the coping mechanisms and social cues to navigate this stuff and they're just fine at the end of the day uh there are problems but there but there are always problems so maybe there are things that are happening in the culture and in social n- norms that w- we don't see cuz we're sort of on both sides of this but deep in the teen weeds it's happening
2: truthfully it's not the teens that i worry about so much nor at least not specifically you know, I worry about I worry about our parents, and I worry about our generation. Sure. Somebody somebody tweeted today, and I I wish it had been me. Somebody said Fox News did to our grandparents everything they said video games would do to us, <laughs> right? <laughs> and and I mean that is another sort of connected. That's the original connected isolatory mm-hmm. experience, mm-hmm. Right? right? Is is cable television? Right. Uh, but I, I I think it's true. I think when we look at at. Who has the most issues with Facebook around things like sharing fake news it's almost universally generations older than ours, yes uh, not younger and and those generations are still here and they they still vote and I, you know i want to uh, I want to find a way i mean they they need empathy as much yes, as anybody. yes
0: and and I have the exact same concerns, but in a way that bolsters my point, which is that Yes, that's a problem, but it will eventually be over, and it's not necessarily – like, digital communication is not necessarily this systemically damaging thing. It's only damaging the people who don't use it properly and understand it, so they are susceptible to bad media literacy, and they are susceptible to miscommunication on digital platforms, and digital natives are – who will be everyone going forward, obviously – they're get they're getting it just fine because they're 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 born with it. And so that that is a somewhat optimistic view. As usual, we 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 arrive at at this conc- not a conclusion but this notion that like things are kind of rough now and could get rougher but long view is probably going to be okay. Uh, that, that that tends to be my view. I don't know if you agree.
2: I mean things are going to be different. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, will they be okay? I I hope so. Will will the problems that we're discussing continue into the next generation? Probably, right? Not not that every teen is going to suffer from it. We're going to live inside these distributed networks and we're going to extend ourselves into more of them uh, in all likelihood. And we're going to find ourselves further and further from, from the physical world and from the, the physical interactions that maybe cultivate caring about other people offers enormous possibilities you know for friendships across across demographics that that we don't have and and we're already seeing that we're seeing a, a study that came out in 2017 said that online dating has led to more interracial mm-hmm. marriages that's mm-hmm. great right that that is objectively a great thing and 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 will create a better society for it but it you know it's also led to uh, some very strange and, and dark things. I, I think uh, we can look at the rise of incels and, and men who go their own way uh, as as sort of a reaction and, and hopefully not a permanent one. You know, maybe that just occupies this space and mm-hmm. time, but there will be more changes and there will be, be backlash to those changes too. If we don't have social structures in place to manage those backlashes, if, if instead what we have are you know these great dark pools where where these things can cultivate and fester and, and reinforce uh, until the next you know the first sign that we see of them they're they're marching on the next Charlottesville. Uh, I do worry
0: about yeah, that. that's that's a compelling question to me. Of like, are are those things symptoms of the fact that we are currently wrestling with disruptive. Technology in disruptive times, or are they endemic to the these new platforms, and will forever be endemic to them?
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I feel like just given what we've talked about in a lot of other episodes, it's it's kind of clear that we're going to be wrestling with disruptive technology for a long time. So I feel like you know it's easy to look at the past and think that like oh you know the things happen quickly and you know developments came. You know, there was one time and then there was another time it sort of happened overnight. But like, we know that's not really Mm -hmm. true. Right. So like, there's always going to be reactionary stuff going on that we have to deal with, I think.
0: What if our digital digital asynchronous communication, which is currently in text and like, you know, not so great video form in most cases, Mm -hmm. let's fast forward 100 years where that style of communication. Hey, I'm going to the store. Do you need milk? I mean, it's a bad example because there won't be stores or milk in hundred years from now, obviously, <laughs> if there's any hope, but Hey, I'm going to the store. Uh, you need milk. That will be a perfect digital representation of your wife's face and voice and everything about her that you would experience uh, if she was standing right in front of you, that would be sort of beamed into your consciousness or into the chip in your mind, and you would experience it as a digital sort of like, bloop, she's here, and you are you can communicate with her as if she was in front of you. Um, and, and let's say for argument's sake, that it, it was perfect. It was a perfect simulation. Could that solve the empathy issue that we discussed uh, throughout the show?
1: I I mean, maybe. I think I would have to, like, try that to see. <laughs> um, I don't You'd know. like I to banatize? I, I, I still like to think. Yeah, totally. <laughs> but I still like to think that, like, there's something about being there in the flesh with somebody that, like, no technology will ever really replicate unless we can get, you know, there's some sort of... Uncommunicable magic that happens when you're with another person that you connect deeply with, right, in in person. And unless we get like some sort of brain embed that like f- fires off the right neurons and replicate and like gives me the right brain signals that like, oh, this person's really here. Like, I'm not sure I would yeah, feel that I, way. Although I will, on the on the same sort of token, like I have definitely gotten chills down my spine from really good VR simulations, like. You know, the one where you're like a deep sea diver and a big, a big old blue whale mm-hmm. comes up next to you. I'm like, oh, wow, that's mm-hmm. really cool. Even knowing that it's totally or, or, fake. So I don't go know. Go simpler
0: and just even watching like a fantastic moment in a movie where like it's a close up shot on an actor. And it's like if you are fully engaged, you know, it's a flat screen with a with an image projected. But you're there. You know, you feel emotionally connected to that um, to that person or that character. I think it's. I think it is possible. And, and you know, we think of VR in very uh, dumb, simplistic terms because it's it's pretty, you know, it's early days. But but again, I mean, we we've talked about this before. Live in a virtual world, experience it as if it, in every capacity, touch, smell, vision. A person walks into a room, and subconsciously you feel the air of them pushing against you as they enter. We could simulate that. Uh, neurologically, I feel pretty confident of that. One day,
1: yeah, I think you might be right.
0: Well, then I guess we solved it. <laughs> 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 we need a bell there's, or something.
2: there's We we didn't actually. There's so much that I want to unpack on that, but we're we're late in the episode. I mean, g- but, give
0: it give it a give it a quick whirl because my, this is well, important. My, well.
2: The, the only thing I'll add is just, you know, if we ever got to that point, if we ever got to this point where, where there is, where there is a, a digital simulacrum of your, of your loved one who travels with you like the great gazoo on your shoulder. Uh, speaking of dating myself uh, at that point, you know, you, you're right. Milk going, going to the store and getting milk is probably not the example. It probably going on vacation mm. is the example. Right. And if, and if you can go on vacation and say, "Oh, well, you know, honey couldn't get off work the whole time, but but she's here with me, her simulacrum is here with me." Hmm. It's it's at that point, are you? Do you do you need what what kind of a relationship do you need with that person? Do you have to live with them as well? Hmm. Do you have to be married to them? Is that are at that point are you only it, can you only have that with one person, or is this something where? Is that person only remoting into your vacation? Are they remoting into somebody mm-hmm. else's vacation mm-hmm. too? it's mm-hmm. it's we might solve the empathy problem that way, but we also might radically change the nature of of romantic life that way right but, that, I, yes,
0: yeah. a fundamental shift and And let's take it a step further because this this technology does not happen in a vacuum, obviously simultaneously the disruption of AI. so, it could be a real human, sort of beaming in holographically to be with you and experience things with you. It could also be a simulated representation of their consciousness. It could be a completely synthetic person uh, who is not has no real world or you know biological counterpart. It is simply. I'm going on vacation and I'm going to take uh, this week. I'm going to take Brenda instead, you know, like that. I think that's that's going to happen. We're going to come up to a point as humans and say, like like you said, what is what are relationships and are the synthetic AI relationships more or less valuable than the than the human biological ones? We're going to cross a threshold where I don't think people are going to care anymore. And that's, you know, a thousand years from now, maybe I don't know, but. I think that could happen.
2: Honey, your bot said the funniest thing today. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes I think your bot is funnier than you.
0: Did, I mean, we did we talk about it here? if we could copy ourselves. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah. where does where does your life begin and your identical cloned twin with all your memories, where does his life begin and end and and all of these like very these technologies that are very disruptive to personhood are ready to smash together, you know, in 100 years to, you know, 200 years. And it's going to be a giant mess unless we have some good philosophical thinking about it, you know?
1: Yeah, I don't disagree.
0: Well, on that note. <laughs> so we have not solved anything <laughs> this time around. I'm sorry to say
1: the three of us are, are not the ones to solve anything regarding relationships really. <laughs> when you think about it. We are we are loved but for the grace of God. Mm, fair enough.
0: You've been listening to The Future Will Not Be Podcast. Thanks for getting existential with us. You can continue the conversation The Future Will Not Be Podcast at gmail.com. Uh, you can chat with us on Twitter. Let us know what you think of the conversation. Chime in with your thoughts and suggest show topics. I am at at Matt underscore Silverman on Twitter. Alex, I know you've been kicking the tires on Twitter. You're feeling good about it.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think I might stick around for a bit. You can find me at mm-hmm. uh, Alex James Fitz, F-I-T-Z. Evan, you're a Twitter vet?
2: Yes, I'm I'm on Twitter at Evan Engel, E-V-A-N-E-N-G-E-L. And if you want to like my tweets, it'll just be you, Fitz, and Alex James Fitz's mom. So you, you are welcome to join this party. Join party. that party.
0: <laughs> <laughs> like those tweets, uh, share your thoughts, and thank you very much for listening. We will talk with you again in about two weeks.
1: Yesterday.